Thanksgiving, uh, to thank God for family that we have here. What a blessing it is to be a part of this congregation, a congregation that loves God, united upon His Son, uh, loves each other. We're not perfect people, uh, but it is a good place to be. Let's be sure and be thankful for that. If you had to write a chapter a story in your life, something that's happened to you, something that would be remembered for literally thousands of years. What would you write? Really, I want you to think about it. If you had to write just one chapter, this is something I would like other people to remember for ages. Maybe something that would help others, but it had to be about you. What would you write? I just wonder if there's anyone here so humble tonight that you would do what Nebuchadnezzar did. It's an amazing story. We give Daniel the credit for the book of Daniel, but you see, really, he didn't write the fourth chapter. That story that we read this morning, that's a writing from the king himself. Out of all the things he could have written, he chose the story that he was humiliated in. But yet, isn't that what humility is all about? You see, as we begin this lesson this evening, I want to challenge our thinking. We've repented of things and we're sorry that we've done it. We would do whatever it takes to bring glory to God, even if that means our story being told, if it brings glory to God. That's exactly what fourth chapter is all about. Let's look at one. Daniel the fourth chapter. He says, Nebuchadnezzar the king. And then, once doing this writing, he continues to all people, nation, etc. Now, what I'd like to do is actually go into the text. Be reminded of something significant. And if you want to hold your back to the first chapters, we develop an introductory point. And that is, through nation, Surrounded by this heathen nation of Babylon. And yet, who is it that God works with here? Is He working with the Jews? No. The king of Babylon. Let that sink in. People say, well, I didn't to do with the Gentile people. Well, sure He did. Let's look in Romans, the first chapter. Romans from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now notice this fact. Because what may be known of God is manifest 
In whom? He's talking about that may be known in them. God has shown it to them. From since the creation of the are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and God are without excuse. They is the Gentile nation. Well, we didn't know of God. You remember who Jonah was sent to? Jonah was sent to prison. Why did he not want to go to because they were heathen people. But God wanted a whole nation, a whole city, if you will, of people to know, even though they were Gentiles, there is a God, and you need to follow Him. Now, if God would that message across to Babylon, what would be one of the best things to impact the Babylonian? What if God could humble the king? Think of an impact make, at least for that period of time. Did it work? I know we read this verse this morning, but to make sure that we're all on the same page here, let's look at Daniel, the fourth chapter, and remember verse 37? Now think about This is a heathen king, and think about what he's saying here at the end of this experience. And, and by the way, if you were not here this morning, the fourth chapter is the, the dream, the dream of the huge tree, and it is chopped down, and the interpretation is, even though you have a great kingdom, you will be humbled. And Daniel gave him the warning, you ought to repent. Twelve months passed, and he was sent out to grow like to grow fingernails like the claws of a bird and to graze with the beast of the field. And after seven seasons had passed, in his humility, he finally lifted up his eyes to God and he gave God the credit for his kingdom for His power, and for glory and praise and blessings. What a change. And here's the way this ends. The fourth chapter, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth and His ways just. And those who walk in pride, He is able to put down. Now that's huge statements right there for a heathen. He's not a heathen anymore in the sense that we usually use the word. He's not a Jew. He's a follower of God. He's one that can praise the works of God. Now keep in mind the works that he saw. We're going to get to that a little bit later in the lesson. We don't want to reveal that just quite yet. I guess what I'm asking you to do this evening is don't just point by point, but try to intermingle this whole lesson together. This is one of those chapters that you, the more you think about it, it's my The humility in the life of this man is amazing. So let's go back and let's just tonight look at the introductory phrases here of Daniel, the fourth chapter, trying to get some insight to a man that was going to leave a chapter for ages to come. What would it say? And here's the humility that we see. This whole chapter is no doubt a chapter about God can humble the proud. He can bring them down. That's the theme of the entire chapter. Why was he writing this? Well, he was writing it, verse 1, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. This is interesting. When whatever he has to say, he says, 
You don't have to be from Babylonia to understand this. You don't have to be just a Hebrew to understand this. In other words, you don't have to be a follower of God to understand this. You don't have to be in a certain class of people to understand this. It doesn't matter who you are. All all nations, all languages, you can understand this. And what is it that they can understand? Universal law. God can bring down the humble. When we think about that universal law, it ought to be a powerful law for all of us that the humble God can exalt, but the proud God can humble them. Let's look at a few passages of where this has happened throughout the Scriptures. Go back to Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter. Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, we see some powerful readings here, and we'll just scan some things out of Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter. But I want to ask you tonight, do you think there's anybody on this earth alive today that doesn't live by that law, that God will bring down the proud? He will exalt the humble. Do you think anybody's excluded? Is there a nationality, some tribe back in the, the backwoods of Africa that that law doesn't apply to them? Or maybe if they're teenagers, it doesn't apply to them. Or maybe if there's elderly people here, you know, sometimes elderly folks say, well, once you get a certain age, you can say anything you want. So pride really doesn't bring any hardship on the lives of certain people. Is that right? Well, if that's right, Nebuchadnezzar was wrong. He says, I've got a message about the danger of pride, and it's a message for all people, all nationalities, all languages. Can escape the message that bringing. The children of Israel couldn't escape it. Deuteronomy the eighth chapter, beginning of verse eleven, he says, "Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God, but not keeping His commandments, His judgments, His statutes, which I command you today." You hear that? Don't forget to keep the ways of God. Why would anybody forget to keep the ways of God? Verse twelve: Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. And when your herds and multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, what's the danger? When we have a nice house to live in and we have full bellies and we open our envelopes in the mail and we see that our assets are increasing, what is the danger? Well, you don't understand. Not for me, preacher, because... Pride doesn't work that way for me. Oh, yes, it does. There's nobody that lives out from under the umbrella of the danger of pride. And so he says here, the danger, verse 14, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and he talks about all the things God has done for them. Verse 17, then you say in your heart, now, doesn't this sound like what we studied this morning? My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant, which He swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. Same story, just a different group of people that we studied this morning. Same story. You can't forget God or God will allow you to perish. In other words, He'll allow some tremendous suffering to take place in life. It's not only true for a king and for a nation of people, it's also true for churches. Turn to 1 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. 
1 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, we see that this universal law is even being applied here to a church family that welcomes sinners in without sinners repenting. Now, we need to make sure that everybody's clear on this. We're all sinners. But it's a difference in someone that sins and repents and someone that openly lives in sin. Well, here the church at Corinth was giving themselves a big pat on the back because they had accepted this couple that we read about in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. Why would a church accept that? Not even the heathens, the Gentiles wouldn't accept that, Paul said. Not just shame on you, but it's a double shame on you. Not only have you sinned against God, but even the heathens are mocking the church now. Why? Why would anybody allow that to happen? Well, he tells the very next verse. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Pride. You've puffed up. You think you're higher than the law of God. You think you can set your own standards. Just throw the Bible away. Pride. I matter more than God matters. What we accept matters more than what God accepts. He says, you know what you ought to be doing? You ought to be crying. We've seen that a king dealt with pride. We've seen the warning for the Israelites, that they might and would, and they did, have to deal with pride. We see a congregation has to deal with pride. 1 Timothy, the third chapter. 1 Timothy, the third chapter. We see that what is taught straight on is pride for the novice of a man serving in an eldership is definitely a problem. But the reason that's a problem is because the office of the eldership is one that would be open to the temptation of pride. And so it takes a mature man to deal with that temptation. Here's the way it's said in 1 Timothy the third chapter. 1 Timothy the third chapter in verse 6. We're looking at the list of qualifications. He says, picking up in the middle of the sentence here, verse 6, not a novice. In other words, the man that's going to be qualified to serve in the office of an elder, he can't be a beginner. He can't be a novice in the faith. Why? Because there is arena of temptation as one enters into the office of an elder. What would that temptation be? Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. A mature man ought to have enough maturity to see that the work is all about God, not all about the man. And that he is leading, working among the sheep, not leading, lording over the sheep, as he also warns that same group of men in 1 Peter 5. You see, all of us at various stages of life and various situations in life will be introduced to the temptation of pride. And the question is, how are we going to deal with this? When we go over to 1 John, the second chapter, The teaching here is that all sin could fall in one of three categories. Do not, 1 John, the second chapter, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, number one, the lust of the eyes, number two, and here goes, 
and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. The world's passing away, the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. I suppose we've looked at enough passages to show the different situations. I simply wanted to illustrate the fact that when Daniel said, or in the book of Daniel, when the king said to all people, to all nations, and in all languages, I've got a story I want to tell you. It is a universal story. It's a universal law, and we all would do very well to take this lesson very serious. It's interesting, as he begins in the computer age, if he were sending this out on an email, this would, this would be the subject line on the, the email, the memo subject line. At the end of verse 1, if you have a Bible that's written in paragraph form, this sets off by itself because it's, it's the somewhat slash greeting slash subject line. And he says, peace be multiplied to you. Now that's interesting. It's a whole chapter about humility, but yet he begins with a subject line that says, peace be multiplied. I want to I wanna let you in on something for just a moment. Well, let's just pretend Tracy's not in here. You know, she is a lot easier to live with when I'm humble. I don't know what that is about her. She's kind of strange about that. But I've just noticed she's just so much sweeter when I'm humble. I bet your spouse is the same way. And if you'll stop and think about it, as strange as it is, I bet your co-workers are the same way also. They're just a lot easier to work with when you go into work humble. A servant's heart. What can I do to make your day better? How could I serve you? Life's not all about me. How's your life? Isn't it interesting that what we want in life is we want peace. We want peace with God. We want peace with our spouse. We want peace with our family. We want peace at the workplace. The king says, peace be multiplied. He says, I want peace too, and I'm going to tell you how to have peace. Be humble. Humility fuels the fire of peace. Then as he writes, some of the most astounding verses in this chapter are really to me in verse 2 and 3. So now that we know he's writing to everybody, it's a universal law and it's a universal plea or prayer, peace be multiplied. Let's notice what he says here as he gives an individual story in verse 2. I thought it good to declare the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. Do you have that much humility? If God stripped you away from a kingdom and humiliated you in front of a whole empire of people, and everybody was still laughing at the fact that you'd been out there grazing with the oxen, can you imagine the comments? Hey, you been chewing in cud lately? Clipped your nails lately? I mean, can you imagine the comments? And when you finally come back to your throne, are you going to say to people, I want to tell you about the signs and the wonders 
that the Most High God has done for me. Yeah, he's seen some signs. God gave him a dream, prophecy. Gave him an interpreter, miraculous. Twelve months later, it came true. And wow, did he see a sign like he had never seen in his life. And he was actually able to come back and say, I want to tell you what God did to me. I don't see anybody doing this. This is a huge point. Did he or did he not say, I want to tell you what God did to me. You got your Bible open, look. Let's see either some this ways or this ways. This is the biggest point we'll make tonight. Did he say, I want to tell you what God will, what he did to me? No. We got some readers. God put him through that severe punishment, and he said, I want to tell you what God did for me. That is a man that's learned his lesson of humility. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, we read about God loves us so much that He's going to chastise His people. And that if we truly are God's people, we're going to learn from that chastising. Can you truly be thankful in all things? Ephesians teaches it, 5th chapter. Colossians 3 teaches it. It's not that all things are good but it is that we can always find something good in all things. Nebuchadnezzar, how do you feel about all that you went through that was so embarrassing? The day you went crazy. He says, I'm so thankful God did that for me. He saw the bigger picture. He saw that all that mattered was to glorify God. And if that's what it took to get his life back on track to God, he wasn't going to look back at it and say, look at what God did to me. He's going to say, look at what God did for me. I think of repentance as I think of this story. And I think of 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. Let's read this together. 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 7 and 10, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. You could go to the king and say, What led you to repentance? And he would say, My pride put me in a terrible situation that God gained my attention. And that's what led me to repentance. And he's thankful that he was led to repentance. You know, sometimes we go through difficult situations in life and the first thing we want to do is blame God. How could you let this happen? What have you done to me? You know, maybe we ought to back up and try to see the whole picture. And it may just be that God is doing something for us and not to us. Let's look at this final point. Daniel, the fourth chapter, verse 3. How great are His signs. By the way, this is the last verse before the story itself. So we've been looking at the introduction to the story. 
How great are His signs and how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Now think, this is a king writing this. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And His dominion is from one generation to generation. What a beautiful thought. As a king, no doubt he had some powers. But when he saw God's powers, his were miraculous. His were almighty. And so here he's praising God for all the power that he had. Here's a king praising another king, but yet he knows that his kingdom can't compare to the eternal God's kingdom. That kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Apparently, the king has learned by now a kingdom can come and go very quickly, or at least a king can come and go very quickly. He saw himself do that. But he sees a God that's sure and steady. And then he realized, when you have an everlasting kingdom, that reign affects generation after generation after generation. king has a story that he wants to tell. It's about the necessity of humility if life is to be what it ought to be. First of all, he says, it's for everybody. Second, he says, I'm telling this because I want you to have peace in your life. Third, he says, I can tell it to you firsthand because I've learned it the hard way. But God did it for me, not to me. And finally, he says, it's helped me to see God for whom He really is. His great power, His everlasting kingdom, and His reigning over generation after generation. Tonight, how do you see God? How do you see all the things that's happened in your life? We need to be able to see how God works. And we need to see how God blesses. Do you have peace? We can have it tonight. We can leave with it tonight. It's for everyone. Tonight, if you've not been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, I'd urge you to do that tonight. Not upon my authority or urging, but upon Jesus Jesus is the one who opens His arms and says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I give you rest. That also has to do with that peace. If you've already been baptized into Christ and you've left Christ, you've lost that peace that passes understanding, some way pride has stepped in too much and humility has stepped out too much and you want to bring things back to the way it ought to be, If we can help you in any way tonight, come as we stand, as we sing.